0: Welcome to TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Today, we have Jim Bradbury with us to shed light on the topic of eminent domain. Jim, welcome to TSCRA Talk. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Yeah, happy to be with you. Thanks for asking.
0: Now, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: You know, I'm an attorney, uh, practice in uh, Austin and Fort Worth, and I've been practicing just about 30 years do a lot of work in the agriculture area. I actually teach part-time at the a and Law School, Ag Law, and some other natural resource courses. But I love agriculture, grew up around it, and really just kind of pleased that I've been able to blend my professional role as a lawyer working for landowners, producers, and some associations across the state.
0: Well, wonderful. I'm excited to have you with us today to talk about eminent domain. So just briefly to kick us off, Give us a definition. What is eminent domain?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, a lot of landowners and your listeners, I'm sure, you know, have heard that term. And then you hear condemnation, and you wonder what what's the difference. It's really about it, it's really the same thing. But that's the broad term that we use in the law to talk when um, there is a a forced taking of your property. Now, in the old, old days, that was the government or that was the king who was exercising their eminent domain to take your property. But in the modern era, that could mean a city, a county, Text Dot for a highway, all the way down to private corporations like railroads, high-speed rail, pipelines, oil and gas pipelines, or the like. Um, Texas has given the right of eminent domain to lots and lots of different entities. In fact, so many entities years ago, they, they realized they didn't even have an accurate list of all the entities that have eminent domain. But that's what it means is somebody that has the statutory power in Texas to deem your property in the public interest and then take it, take it by force.
0: Very interesting. Now, how does the process start? Do you get a letter in the mail? Does someone show up at your door? And what are they going to ask and, and what should you expect them to communicate to you?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, I I like to, at least when I talk about this, say that normally it involves uh, a white fleet truck pulling up uh, your gravel driveway here for somebody that you don't recognize, and then somebody jumps out and is overly friendly. And that doesn't happen in all cases, but that's, that's the way it happens most of the time where there is a, he's a right-of-way agent and his job, uh, he's been hired by the company to come and make nice with you and tell you how pretty your cows are and, and, and exchange a check in exchange for a signed agreement. You may get a letter first off, but many, many times it's a, it's a negotiation right away agent who's going to start the door-knocking process and starting what is a period of negotiations between the landowner and the company. But that's really a critical phase in the eminent domain process, uh, because that's your first indication that, hey, something serious and legal uh, is about to take place regarding my property. And, uh, you know, a lot of landowners, in my experience, they, they they get frustrated, they get mad and kind of want this whole thing to go away and tend to ignore that process. but it is an important time i like to say get over being mad and start being smart when uh, when you get that first knock at the door
0: that makes sense so it's not something to just ignore
1: no you really can't i mean and when you're in that situation you 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 know you want to close your eyes and make it go away but the nature of eminent domain, there are substantial rights uh, in, in favor of the entities that, that, that do these projects to, in essence, draw a line through your property. So that's why I say you've got to get smart, communicate, and you know we can talk in a minute about getting assistance from others. But as a landowner, you really have to get engaged. As frustrating as it is, it's unwise to ignore this and, and not be talking with them because while you're ignoring it, they're, they're moving on. They're progressing, they're negotiating your rights with your neighbors and others, and, and you'll be sort of the last person left on the island if you don't.
0: That makes sense. What is the, the first step? Once you have that initial visit, that initial contact has been established, what do you recommend to landowners?
1: You know, and one thing I'll say that that could happen very early as a permission to survey, and I just wanted to say a couple of things about that because it's a confusing area. Many times the very first contact you'll get is somebody that says, well, we really want to come on your property and and do a survey. And uh, almost all landowners in Texas do not like strangers just jumping over their fence and hopping on their property. But I will tell most of your listeners that, that any entity that has the power of eminent domain really has the power to come on and survey. And that can happen very early, well before they're negotiating for right away. But my quick advice on that is that they'll typically hand you a form that says, uh, hey, sign here and tell tells you give permission. You have the right to draft your own agreement, set your own conditions, and say, yes, you can come on and survey but I want to see proof of insurance. I want you to call me on my cell phone when you arrive, when you leave. I want to know the names uh, of the companies that are going to be on my property, no cutting of trees, that sort of thing. So just wanted to point that out because many times there's not any laws on the books that, that are landowner friendly to figure that out. And tragically if you know do like my dad would tell them to say no you can't come on my property many times they will go and sue the landowner to get a temporary restraining order to get on the property it's a terrible start to a a hard process
0: sure so it makes sense to do your due diligence to try to work with them and but also be smart about it and make sure that it fits your requirements for coming onto the land
1: yeah and, you know, on that note, you know, if, you're, if you find yourself in this situation, you know, most, most rural landowners and folks in agriculture like to uh, keep their business to their self, pretty self, self-sufficient, don't like to ask for help. But this is a time when, uh, you know, reaching out to, to help, and that can run the gamut from uh, looking at, at, at plenty of online resources that may be there through cattle raisers, through Farm Bureau, through AgriLife Extensions, got some good stuff out there. Uh, talk to your neighbor, maybe a real estate appraiser, a real estate broker, somebody that's been through it before, all the way in, in, including an attorney that has experience in the area to reaching out. And, you know, it, it, it's a time to gather information because the landowner is disadvantaged. This is new to you. It's a legal process. And so you really do need to be seeking some sort of outside advice uh, from, from one of those sources if you find yourself in this situation
0: it most definitely sounds like it would be valuable to connect with someone who has experience and knowledge in this type of situation. Looking forward, how do the negotiations proceed and how should a landowner handle that aspect?
1: Yeah, let's, you know, take it. There's there's kind of a, a standard pattern that these follow. And from that first knock on the door, you're looking at, you know, usually what amounts to a couple of months worth of back and forth with this right-of-way agent where he'll say, look, you know, we're, we, we're coming on your property. We think we need five acres through here. He's got a checkbook in one hand and an easement in the other hand. And he'll make you an offer. And normally that first offer will be sent to you in letter that'll say, look, we need this many acres and here's our offer and it'll include the easement. And that's a period of negotiations back and forth. I mean, the law requires these companies to engage in bona fide negotiations, which means real negotiations with the landowner. So as a landowner, you need to, you know, if you don't have a lawyer and and don't want to get one, you're on the front line. So you're going to need to negotiate back and forth, counter them. Obviously, the idea is to get the... uh, the price you're being paid up to the highest point that it can be—that's a fair price for what they're getting. But at the same time, and this is something that's overlooked a lot, Kristen is uh, the the terms of the easement. The company will normally hand their version of what is an easement landowner is not obligated to use that form of easement you can utilize your own form you can negotiate their terms and it's it's very important that that landowner during the negotiation process uh, is ensuring that the right language to protect their land and the value of their land is is written into that easement so you'll go say let's say a couple of months going back and forth and typically the land person will then start to Tighten the noose on you a little bit and say, look, we're getting down to the end here. I'm going to have to have some answers. My, my boss is saying, I can only give you one last offer. And and that'll be signaled to you that things are, are are getting close to the end of the negotiation period. And then you'll actually get a formal letter that will say the last offer. And that sounds a little dramatic, but that's the way the statute's written. And that last offer will have a copy of an appraisal in it. And when you get that, that that's an indication that the company is about to move into the formal legal side of this process, where they would actually file suit against you and any other owners of the particular piece of property in your county. So you have that negotiation period, which is just pure horse trading back and forth. And then when you get to the end of that, then they're going to kind of give you this last offer. And... You know, this, these things are negotiable at every phase. So keep negotiating, even if they tell you, "Oh, this is our last one." Just keep at it. But if the parties can't come to a deal, they will then file suit in the county, and then the judge in that county will appoint three special commissioners who will, you know, convene usually in uh, say three to six weeks a preliminary hearing on the uh, the value of the taking.
0: Well, very interesting. It's helpful to, to know more about the process that takes place. Sure. Are there any tips that you have or things to know that the condom nor won't tell you?
1: Yeah, here's a big one for your listeners. I mean, there are two categories of, of damage that the landowner is entitled to. One is what we call the park taken, And if you can imagine the easement that's a strip, say it's uh, 60 feet wide, and a, a half a mile long, you know, that's a rectangle. They owe you that category, and that's pretty easy to calculate. That's what's the value of an acre times the the area of that rectangle, and and, and you get paid for that. The other category, which is less well known, and they won't they won't talk to you about this. This is called damage to the remainder. And what that is, is when you carve out that rectangle and you give them the right to put a pipeline in, come back and maintain it, do all sorts of stuff years and years down the road, you have uh, damaged the value of your other property, everything on either side of that rectangle. And that is a category and by statute that the landowner is entitled to. But typically, the condom nor is never going to bring that up. The appraisal they give you is not is is not going to put any value in that. So when you are negotiating these things, you need to be thinking through. Okay, yeah, you know, my property is worth five thousand, you know, per acre times two acres. That's ten thousand dollars. But, Mr. Right Right-of-Way Agent, I think you've damaged the rest of my property uh, in addition, and I want to be paid for that. Other little things of crop damage, uh, you know, uh, if there's trees that are taken down, other aspects, fences that are taken down, you need to be costing those into your negotiations. And then lastly, if you do retain an, an attorney, you need to factor the cost of that into your negotiation position because by law, these entities that condemn Texas landowners do not have to pay attorney's fees. So you need to factor that into your negotiations, too.
0: Wonderful information. So, so helpful and insightful. Walk us through the construction phase. What What does that look like? What should landowners expect during that process?
1: Yeah, you know, once you've signed the easement, let's say you've struck your deal and signed the easement, uh, then they will you know, obviously have the rights to come onto your property. Hopefully, you've written in some provisions regarding uh, notice to you when they come on, but you will see, you know, multiple contractors coming onto your property. It can be a, a fairly unruly process because, of course, the contractors, usually they haven't read the easement. They, you know, they're they're there to just, just get a, a piece of infrastructure in the ground. And so... That's a process where you're going to have to, to manage and, 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 watch them and they will come onto the property. You know, if it's a pipeline, they're going to trench it. If it's a transmission line, they're going to be setting the towers and the wires that we lost trucks. And you've got to keep an eye on because just like I said, the, the contractors may not read the easement. They may lose track of where the easement is and where it isn't. They may start parking trucks or excavators or other kinds of stuff outside the easement. Which they are not permitted to do. So, it's something that you, you know, you, you as a landowner, are going to need you or your foreman to pay attention and monitor what they're doing during that construction phase. But honestly, most of the time they're in a they're in a big hurry, and so on a project they're going to come on the property and 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 move pretty quickly to get it tied up. That brings up one other issue, uh, Kristen, which is. Making sure when they're done with construction that they have, you know, tied everything back up the way they're supposed to have done. Topsoil on the top, rocks down on the bottom. You know, if they've trenched soil out, make sure, you know, you should have written in language to say you've got to level the ground, reseed it, and reestablish the vegetative cover on that, so I don't get erosion that sort of thing. and, and make sure before they leave your property that they have done those things.
0: Well, it sounds like there is a lot of oversight that it takes from the landowner to, to ensure that it's the way that it was agreed upon. What if there are problems? What if they don't honor the provisions of the agreement?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, this, these things can be, I don't mean to make light of it, but they can be like having un, unruly teenagers on <laughs> in your property. They're just going to do whatever it is they please. You know, the first phase is, of course, get a hold of somebody at the company if things are not going well and and they're not paying attention. Uh, get a hold of somebody at the company and say, look, we've got a we've got an issue, and you need to get your contractors in line. And if that doesn't work, you're going to have to escalate it and to the point of uneasement is a contract, and uh, if they have not honored that either during the construction phase or after that you can retain counsel to go in and bring a claim against them. It's a breach of contract. So you, you, you agreed to do X, Y, and Z. You exceeded the easement, and you can enforce that in the courthouse, um, just like any other contract. And, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to that. But, you know, what happens all too often is this is a very foreign process for landowners. They're unfamiliar with it. It can be very legal. And then the other side can be very pushy. And so landowners are a little apprehensive about asserting their rights because they don't totally know what those rights are. But at every the phase, landowners in Texas really be of a mind that they can put themselves in the driver's seat. It's their property, and, and they should be managing this process at every step because that, that whole process is going to govern and burden that property, uh, frankly, uh, for forever.
0: Sure. Sure. It makes sense. Now, and we touched on this a little bit, but what is the role of the state in this process?
1: Yeah, very little. You know, that's one of the, the, the legal issues that's out there that's been discussed a lot and the subject of, of, of court proceedings that are going on right now. And, and, and the legislature is seeing the state of Texas Playing a bigger role in balancing the exercise of eminent domain. You know, right now, of course, you have cities, counties, uh, which are governmental subdivisions, and then TexDot is the state of Texas. But Dot, that's in the role of taking private property. We don't really have an agency in Texas, as hard as that is to believe, who is responsible for ensuring that eminent domain is carried out in a, in a, in a fair and balanced process. There's you know, nowhere to go to for a landowner right now to say, look, this is out of bounds. I mean, the way they've behaved or the way they've negotiated or the way they've constructed my property is beyond what the law should allow. And that's a problem, you know, because if you think through all the various things we do in the state of Texas, almost all of them somehow are housed underneath one agency or another, where if you don't like the way it's being done, you can, you can go to that agency and, and take care of it. But in eminent domain, it's it's a bit of a vacuum right now. There are groups, including cattle raisers, that, that have tried to change that and, and get the state more involved in this process. But it hadn't happened yet.
0: Well, that's helpful to know and definitely something for landowners to be aware of and be in the loop on and engage in those conversations as they continue to come up right. um, because I, I anticipate that's not something that cattle raisers and landowners will just let fall to the wayside
1: No, it's a, it's a hot topic if you go out and talk to landowners in all parts of the state this uh, two, two issues are on their minds forefront, one is water and the other is eminent domain and so it's going to get fixed But it is a a major problem uh, right now that landowners really don't have anywhere to turn to in terms of the state responsibility for how this is being done.
0: Sure, sure. Well, is there anything else that we have not covered that is valuable for our listeners to know?
1: No, I, I don't think so. I've really enjoyed talking with you about it. I would just you know, wrap this up by saying, look, if this if this has happened to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If it hasn't happened to you, really, once it once it does begin to unfold, don't lose hope. Don't feel alone. Don't feel vulnerable on this thing. Reach out and get some help from association like cattle raisers to your county judge, AgriLife uh, attorney, or otherwise. A lot of people have been down this road and there are ways to do this where you will feel more in control and not that it's being taken from you. So just offer that sense of encouragement to landowners because as we grow here in Texas and we continue to have more and more people coming here, we're going to have a lot more road widening, a lot more pipelines, a lot more transmission lines, all these kind of things which are going to be taking place on private property. So we will see more and more Texans have to go through this process in the years to come.
0: Jim, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. We appreciate your time. And it sounds like this is a topic that will remain top of mind for landowners. Joining me now is Jeremy Fox out of the TSCRA Austin office. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me back.
0: Now we're actually going to continue the conversation about eminent domain. Jim talked about property owners and how they can navigate the current eminent domain process, but TSCRA is working to change that process. Tell us more. Well,
2: you're absolutely right. And Jim did a fantastic job of laying out kind of how to navigate the process that that exists. But unfortunately, that process as it is now is extremely unfair to Texas property owners. Uh, it really gives every advantage in the process to the people who are doing the condemning. And in a state like Texas where private property rights are really sacred, that's just not right. We really need to fix that process especially when it's a private company who is going to profit on the taking of your land. That's a that's a hard pill to swallow. And so we need to change that make it more equitable for landowners and inject some fairness and transparency and accountability into that process so that texas property owners can trust the state is looking out for them when these kind of things happen and of course the important thing here is that you need property to raise cattle and you need cattle to feed this country and so the implications of not fixing this are huge. So we really need to uh, get this right.
0: Well, it makes sense that eminent domain would be a top priority for cattle
2: raisers. It is, it really is. No matter where we go, we get the opportunity, fortunately with our jobs to talk to a lot of members in a lot of different places in the state. And whether we're getting a phone call at our office or whether we're out on the road at a ranch gathering, somewhere in the state, the number one thing that people come and talk to us about is imminent domain. They're concerned about what's happening to their neighbors. They're concerned about what has happened to them, what may happen to them. And uh, as the state grows, as we enjoy this renaissance and energy that we have had for the uh, last number of years, the problem is only going to continue to grow as we provide for the energy that the state and country needs.
0: What advice would you give landowners from the perspective of TSCRA?
2: Well, we get a lot of calls on this and talk to a lot of folks, uh, like I said, and Jim mentioned it, but he probably wasn't emphatic enough about it. My number one piece of advice, if you call me and ask what to do, if you are faced with eminent domain, hire an attorney who specializes in this subject. And I just can't, can't emphasize that enough. I know it's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of us, and uh, we're not naturally inclined to uh, go out and get help and, and hire lawyers. But I can tell you that going this route is going to be the absolute best way for you to make sure that you, one, get a fair offer, And probably more importantly, that you protect yourself and your property and your future generations because getting the details right in that easement contract are so, so important.
0: Well, and it sounds like the details are exactly what can make the situation complicated, even more complicated.
2: It's uh, helpful to have somebody who really understands and can work within the nuances of the process that we have.
0: Most definitely. Now, tell us a little bit about how members can get involved in this process.
2: Well, as I'm sure you know, TSCRA is going to be at the Capitol for the upcoming legislative session. We're going to be working with other organizations and landowners to bring legislation forward that will improve this process, that will interject that transparency and fairness and accountability that we deserve. But ultimately, whether or not that passes is going to be up to the Texas Senate and the Texas House of Representatives. And so, you, in the meantime, I would suggest if you are concerned about this issue, that you contact your state senator, that you contact your state representative and explain to them why you are concerned. Explain to them that this is a priority for you. And you want it fixed, and you're going to be paying very close attention to how they they proceed on this issue during the upcoming legislative session. It's so important that those folks hear from you and uh, know that it's a priority for their constituents.
0: Jeremy, thank you so much for your time today. It's helpful to understand more about this process of evident domain and things that need to be changed in ways that we can engage. I encourage our listeners to learn more about TSCRA or to become a member, visit tscra.org.